How can this be? I'm back. Sup, y'all? Happy to uh, be crawling nice and deep, like, into those earballs. My deep, deep, sultry voice. Whispering sweet nothings to you. Yeah, back after a, a little brief hiatus, necessary one, not just laziness or apathy, I promise you that. Um, I This is going to be The Ballad of Justin Lang, part two. Uh, when I released part one, I planned on doing this in the same week, and then doing part three after that. But... Sometimes that's just not how the cookie crumbles. And here's why. So, when I released the first episode, it was on a Monday, which is, you know, atypical of me. I usually release episodes Wednesday, Friday now. So I record Tuesday, Thursdays. But I uh, I recorded on a, the previous Thursday. I had to drive to a wedding the next day, so I didn't have enough time to, to do uh, any editing because I recorded late Thursday, commuted Friday, whatever, whatever. So, released it Monday after I got a chance to pick through it a little bit. And then, Monday night, Bachelor in Paradise comes around, and I'm all set, ready to roll on recording my part two on Tuesday night. And then, I am just blindsided like you wouldn't believe, by a second episode of BIP in the same week. So, I mean, you know, Bachelor in Paradise recaps have kind of become my blogging calling card, if you will. So, I couldn't record Tuesday night, uh, meaning no episode Wednesday. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll record Thursday. I'll put one out Friday. It'll be fine. And then I was put on the shelf by a just debilitating stomach bug. Ooh, buddy. I'll tell you. Not to get too graphic on you, but I had to be within sprinting distance of a restroom at any given time because Lord knows if I adjust it incorrectly. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Not great, Bob. <sighs> but, um, yeah, so that happened. And, you know, I, I was just, like, uncomfortable and just filled with gas. And I, I shit you not, no pun intended, but, you know, maybe a little bit intended, I guess. I shit you not that I don't think I have ever had more cartoonish burps and farts in my life. Just comical caricatures of sounds coming out of me. Disaster. You know, and I'm sorry if this is gross and yell, but I assume that we're, we're all adults here. We've all pooped, farted, burped, at least once in our life. So, I'm trying to be relatable with you. You know how much that sucks? Not being relatable, but the alternative. 
but I just kept like filling up with hot air and I couldn't move, couldn't get comfortable. I was not sleeping well. I was in and out of the bathroom all night. Both ends, not great. Just a, a disaster. I couldn't work out for a few days. Just, just a nightmare of all nightmares. So Thursday in the trash, couldn't record then. Friday, eh, nobody's listened to a podcast on Saturday if I release one there, regardless of how I'm feeling. So I figured push it out till this week. Then my son got the same stomach bug. So it was on the shelf for another couple of days. And now here we are. It's Thursday. I'm recording this. this episode will release on Friday, September 3rd. So, The Ballad of Justin Lang, Part 2. And before I dig into it, I just got a couple orders of, uh, orders of business, random thoughts that I think uh, I want to touch upon. First off, uh, the Bishop Sycamore story is hilarious, if you haven't read or heard about it. I'm sure everybody's podcasts about it at this point, so I'm sure you've at least seen it, heard of it. They played IMG Academy. Um, essentially, it was a, a group of grown men posing as a high school slash prep school team, and they played a game on national television, on the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, otherwise known as ESPN, the worldwide leader. And they got their tits lit by IMG Academy. 58 to nothing. And then everybody seemed to find out that they weren't a real school. They were just a group of grown men running around out there pretending to have five-star recruits. Their coach had an active warrant for his arrest as he was coaching on national television. And here we are. It's been, uh, been a few days, and the stories just keep getting better. The jokes keep getting lamer, but the nuggets of information keep getting much, much better. And being a, a former basketball guy, this is kind of like old hat, you know, seeing these pop-up shitbag schools kicking around. There's this big fat fuck down in New Jersey that tried to call my boss when I was at post and get me fired because I didn't want to recruit one of his guys that was deciding between like Rutgers and Newark and Rutgers Camden and like Kane University of the NJAC. Division three schools. Fine schools in their own right. Decent basketball programs for the Division three level in the state of New Jersey. However, as a low to mid-major Division II uh, top assistant, I can't exactly be bringing in kids that are deciding between Division three schools. And giving them scholarships. So this guy called my boss, told him that I wasn't doing right by him and he should fire me. My boss said, no, uh, if 
he doesn't want to recruit the kids because they're choosing between Division three schools and he's seen them play and they're not good enough. I'm going to side with my assistant here, pal. More or less. So this guy opened up, opened and shut multiple prep schools in the same building under different names. While I was, I coached for six years. It's not like I was doing this for like 20 years. I was a college coach for six years. And this guy coached the same school in the same building under different names. Changed it, I think, at least twice. And it might have been a third time by now, I would have to assume, judging by this guy's track record and his body mass index. I would have to assume he... Definitely moved on from those two names to try to trick some more people into coming to play for him. Um, but uh, I, I digress. If, if you get a chance, there's a great story, um, which uh, actually, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit. Let's give it a whirl here. The title of the story is... Coach at Basketball Academy responds to players' claims that teen brought in prostitute, program lacked food, and supervision. This is down in Belmar, New Jersey. This guy was running what essentially became known as the Hot Dogs and Hookers Prep School. So... Give that a Googling. It's a hell of a story, I'll tell you. So, there's that. I feel like every school every school I saw at a showcase, most of them didn't have the rosters correct. This Bishop Sycamore couldn't give ESPN a numbered roster of guys at all. I don't know. What? I mean, they had jersey numbers. There weren't very many of them. They were obviously not enrolled in classes, but these were grown men trying to get recruited by Division I schools, and they stink. They stunk. 58 to nothing. And I, I got to hand it to them. I'm, I love a good, good pop-up prep school grift as much as the next guy. They're, they're fucking everywhere. They're littered throughout New England. It's, an, it's a real epidemic in, in basketball. They've, they've kind of done away with a bunch of them. There used to be a lot more of the diploma mills before an NCAA crackdown, but that's neither here nor there. And I love the Bishop Sycamore name. And here's why. Because I've long said that if I ever opened up a pop-up prep school, it would be a very bootleg operation. And I think the key to tricking as many people as possible into coming to play for you is to give it a vaguely religious-sounding name. Bishop. Yeah, all right. You know, Bishop McGinn, Bishop McNamara, Bishop whatever. Sounds vaguely religious. Sycamore is a tree. I don't know any Bishop Sycamores. There's not a, a Dave Sycamore kicking around anywhere. 
preaching the gospel in the Catholic Church. But Bishop Sycamore became a real fake school. And I've always said, and I have a great one, patent pending if you're out there trying to steal my my name for a, a fake prep school. Academy of the Holy Crest. Vaguely religious. Doesn't really have any affiliation to anything. But it's like, oh, Holy Crest. What Holy Crest? I don't know. But it doesn't raise as many red flags as Bishop Sycamore. You know? So... That's always kind of been been my go-to for uh, for a shitty prep school. So if you're opening one, you want to use it, uh, you got to pay me, okay? Patent pending. I announced it here, all right? Announced it right here in this recording, all right? It's mine, bro, or lass, or whomever wants to open one, all right? You steal that from me, you're getting a strongly worded cease and desist letter, I'll tell you. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's about the major sports story kicking around in the world right now. Uh, you know, the, the Patriots cut Cam Newton, uh, the other day, sad. I liked Cam, but you know, liking a guy in the NFL doesn't matter. They can't play. So tough that he didn't get another crack at it. Better for us that Mac Jones is getting a go of it. So, um, you know, I wish Cam Newton nothing but luck. Not that he's going to hear this, but if he does, you know, Cam, good luck, buddy. Never seen anybody with fire fits like you. Um, most of them I need more than my next breath. So, um, what else? One more note. Oh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, I'm recording this on September 2nd. You'll hear it on the 3rd or, you know, afterwards, whatever. It'll be posted on the 3rd. But uh, the 4th is my uh, late dad's birthday. Would have been 59. Um, you know, he's he's passed on almost a decade ago now. So um, not really going to give a shout out, but I'll, I'll, you know, talk about him uh, real Real briefly, I'll uh, I'll probably do something a little more, a little more of a, a tribute closer to the the tenth anniversary of his passing in in November. But um, but yeah, so you know, my my dad passed away November two thousand eleven, um, suddenly of a aortic dissection. So for those of you unfamiliar with what that is, the aorta is the largest artery in the body. It supplies blood to every other part of the body. And my dad was, you know, he was not in the greatest of health, smoked, he didn't exercise, whatever. And he had high blood pressure. And when that happens, you know, the, the, the pressure on the, the aorta begins to expand and, and unravel like a paper towel tube when it gets wet. So that's what 
took him down. You know, um, it sucked. It still sucks. I mean, I'm I'm used to it now. I I live with it now. Um, but I was I was 21. My senior year of college, my brother was 16. Um, I mean, no, he might have been 15 at the time. No, he was 16. Um, and just ripped. It wasn't like one of those things where we could slowly reconcile it over time. Like he had a, a, a disease like, like cancer or something like that where... You know, he was, he was suffering at the end and you're like, you know, he's, this is sad, but we've come to terms with it and he's, he's in a better place now. Um, this happened suddenly. It was on a Friday. I didn't have Friday class. So I slept in, I woke up to a text from him because he was going to a, uh, like a, a post Halloween costume party either that night or the next night, whatever, that he was invited to. And he was walking out of his house to work, and he said it was just like a bomb went off in his chest. And I got a call when I was at work that he was in the hospital, and I better get over and, and see him because uh, it, it wasn't looking good. They wouldn't, you know my dad's then girlfriend wouldn't tell me exactly what happened. So I borrowed my friend Kristen's car, drove to Exeter from Durham. I was, like I said, I was still in college. I was at work. I worked for like 30 minutes before I got this phone call and drove over there. I got a chance to see him while he was still awake and, you know, alive and, he was chatting with me, cracking jokes, but he was in obvious pain. And me being the next of kin, I kind of had to help make the decisions. And he had to get airlifted from Exeter to uh, Beth Israel down in Boston. Um, and when they said, all right, uh, Gil, we're going to, airlift you down to Boston. Now he cracked a, a, a wry smile and a laugh and said, Oh man, we're going to do this mash style, huh? Oh, I love mash. The TV show mash starring Alan Alda. This guy is legitimately dying on a gurney in a hospital under a large amount of pain medication. And he's cracking jokes about a TV show about the Korean War from the 70s starring Alan Alda. So, flew him down to Boston. He was in surgery for felt like days, but, you know, we got down there at I don't know, six, five o'clock. I don't, I don't exactly know. Time just kind of melded together and I was trying to keep positive thoughts, but we were all worried and whatnot. He ended up passing away in the middle of the night. 
Um, there was nothing they could do. Lost too much blood. Uh, they said if you know they were able to bring him back at this point, like he he wouldn't have the same quality of life. Like he he lost a lot of oxygen to his his brain and whatnot. So uh, I had to let him go, and that sucked. But um, you know it kind of kind of sent me and my my brother off into paths that we might not have otherwise gone on. You know, my, my brother lives down in Florida now. And he's helping people with substance abuse issues. And, you know, recovering addicts and whatnot and, and really working with them and, and living alongside them and doing a lot of good stuff. And, I mean, much better... <laughs> He's a much better guy than I, I'll tell you, my brother. So, um, you know, and, and I've kind of kind of bounced around, became a, a well-traveled coaching fella. I uh, went to Plymouth, New Hampshire, then to Providence, Rhode Island, then to Waterbury, Connecticut, and now I'm back in New Hampshire. So, um, kind of allowed us to, to grow and, and expand our, our horizons and didn't have to go back home to our, our hometown that we were trying to move on from as much, which I've mentioned multiple times. It was kind of necessary for us to get out of there, to not get trapped there. And, you know, if we kind of had to grow up a lot quicker than we would have otherwise and figure stuff out and try new things that, you know, we were going to evidently fuck up a little bit, probably, both of us in different capacities. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of kind of what happened there. And, you know, a couple months away uh, from the 10-year anniversary of his passing. So, um, you know, happy birthday uh, to my dad. You know, miss you, but you know, you're in a better place now. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so I guess that's kind of, you know, uh, where I'll, where I'll pick up from here. Um, you know, last, last one of these episodes, I talked about my, my first couple years in coaching. My time at Plymouth State. And, you know, I had some experiences there. I started to started to figure some some stuff out my end of my second year. Got what would ostensibly be a better job. And like I mentioned, I went into this experience when I moved down to Providence coach at Rhode Island College thinking oh shit you know this is Rhode Island College this is Rick like this is the premier division three state school in New England for hoops right now and 
like there's a, there's a couple schools in, in the Little East. The Little East is a very good conference. For those of you unfamiliar with Division Three athletics, it's the best state school conference in New England. You know, the MassCACs, a little a little beneath it. Um, you know, that's that's just within Massachusetts. Um, it used to be better before Castleton State joined it, uh, but that guy's a, a loser um, who stinks at his job. And the whole nine yards, talk about a Naismith who you know, really gave up when he was no longer the big fish in a small pond. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So, um, you know, I, I went from interconference movement. I went from Plymouth State to, to Rick. A very different type of kid I was recruiting. Um, you know, when I was at Plymouth, I was, I was recruiting more suburban kids uh, from from means, you know, kids that come from New Hampshire and Maine, Vermont, Massachusetts, you know, and then I go to, I go to Rick, just a completely different type of kid. I'm recruiting more kids from, from cities, more first generation college students, more kids that don't come from means that don't have two nickels to rub together but want to get a college education and you know, it's a place where it's very affordable to go to and you can get a lot of kids in there that, you know, you can't get in at a lot of different other places just for, for a couple different reasons, you know, whether it be money or grades or whatnot you know, it was a it was a, a haven for kids that wanted to go to college, but you know, didn't really have an opportunity elsewhere. And you know, we we got a lot of get a lot of transfers from junior college and and Division two schools, other Division three schools, whatever. It was it was a good place, good location, great campus. The facilities were top-notch, both the rec center and the gymnasium that we played in, which at most schools at the Division three level is the same building. We had two different buildings, and my, I had my own office. I had my own office. Now, it wasn't my own. I shared it with the, with the other assistant, but I didn't share it with the head coach like I did when I was at Plymouth. You know, and I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So I, I moved down there to this apartment. I lived on, on Pleasant Street in Providence, which most of you listening to this won't be familiar, but it's between like Brown University and just a really rough area of the city. It's like, it's crazy. Like one side is like, you walk across the street one direction, there's an observatory. And then behind that, there's like several hundred thousand dollar homes, million dollar homes around Brown. Brown is an Ivy League school. So there's just like money pumping in and out of it. And 
on the other side, like, there's dudes moving copious amounts of, of, of weight, if you will, drugs of all varieties. So it was quite the dichotomy where I lived and it was across the city from, uh, from Rick. And I, I gotta be honest with you. I loved, I can't emphasize this enough, loved living in Providence, Rhode Island. I don't know what it was about it. it you know, it's, it's a small city. It, it's not too dissimilar to Manchester, New Hampshire, which I'm you know familiar with. I grew up 40 minutes from Manchester. But it was different. There was a bunch of colleges there. You know, there's Rick, there's Brown, there's Providence College, there's Johnson and Wales, there's Rhode Island School of Design. They had this great thing there. The, the Providence Water Fire was a lot of fun, which is like an arts festival. There was all sorts of bars and, you know, you go down to Thayer Street and go to the clubs and stuff go to different areas of the city. There was always a good drinking establishment. It was like a legit city. You know, it was, it was better for me than Manchester. And I had a lot of fun there, you know, with, uh, with my roommates, um, you know, my first roommate, Paul, um, that, that coached hoops over at Brown. Um, you know, shout out to, to Paulie. I know he listens to the, to the podcast and, you know, him and I were just two peas in a pod. We would, you know, work our balls off all day. We'd come home at some point in the late evening tonight, just completely spent and suck down a few cocktails, wine, beer, what have you, and we'd watch Netflix on the couch and unwind till we both dozed off, Paul in the recliner, me in the leather leather couch, and then woke up, obviously, in a frantic confusion in the middle of the night and made it into our bedrooms. So... And then my next roommate, you know, after after Paul left, um, you know, Gary. Uh, Gary was one of my groomsmen. He and I are very close. Uh, you know, if, if he's still, uh, if he's listening, <laughs> you know, uh, Gary, uh, enjoyed living with you, pal. I know you know that. So uh, we used to, Gary worked at the American, um, you know, the the conference, the, the in the building formerly housing the Big East, like the real Big East, not the not the Catholic conference, the school, the conference of Catholic schools it's turned into now. Um, so, I mean, I spent my whole time down there around athletics people. You know, and I, we had a great time because we were all in kind of the same boat, we'd work a million hours for not a lot of money, trying to make it work, trying to make ends meet and get to where we wanted to go. And it was, it was an awesome experience in that regard. Cause I mean, I met some of my best friends living in Providence, people I still talk to 
on a multi-time-a-week basis. Um, Megan Urbis, she's been on this podcast before. Um, you know, Gary, like I said, Hallis, uh, my, uh, my, my buddy, my buddy, Kevin Gomer, who works at, you know, University of Minnesota now. Um, you know, we just, uh, Haley Outen, she was the, the talent, uh, the sideline reporter for the, uh, for the American Jamie Corrin, who works for the CAA. Like we, we would work a million hours and we'd be miserable. Uh, you know, uh, Oh, who else? I'm forgetting some people, Ted Rawlings, my boy, Teddy ball game. Um, you know, Ted and, and Gary and Gomer and Meg are probably the ones that I'm closest to from there. Um, you know, we would just work a million, million hours. And then anytime we'd get some free minutes, we'd be like, hey, you want to go down to the bar and have a beer, unwind, throw some cash in the jukebox at Congress Tavern, have some $2 Miller High Lifes down at the hot club, you know, wherever, depending on the time of year. You know, Hallis and I used to go to Lola's. Um, which he was like best friends with one of the bartenders. So she told us as long as we didn't get any, anything bottled, she'd hook us up with a good price. So we'd go down there and hammer away. Um, you know, uh, Scotty Picard, who was in here on this podcast a couple, couple weeks back with me. He was at UMass Dartmouth, but he would come out with us in Providence. Like we had a great setup. We had a great group that we would hang out with regularly. And it was a lot of fun. That part was a terrific experience. I wouldn't have changed it for, for the world. I loved living there. You could get fall down out of your front door in any direction and get fresh seafood, you know, if you were feeling frisky. Um, you know, that was a, that was an every once in a while thing. Listen, we're, we're, we're a small time athletics assistants and whatnot. We didn't have fucking King Midas's gold to run around the city with, but you know, that, that was, that was great. You know, I, I really learned a lot about myself. I met my wife when I was living there. Um, but every aspect of that that I outlined to you as being terrific was amplified by the fact that my work experience was about as bad of a college basketball coaching experience as you could have. It was like working in a sweatshop and I shit you not, I would have to open the athletic center a couple days a week at 7 a.m., right? Most days I wouldn't leave until 10, 11 at night, you know, provided I wasn't going recruiting, in which case I was driving to God knows where to see a kid that wasn't going to come to the school because they'd heard stories about my boss from other people that we recruited there 
that had horrendous experiences on their recruiting visits or came to the school and had horrendous experiences there while they were student athletes. I mean, it, it completely cut the knees right out from underneath us in the city of Boston. I couldn't get a, a kid from Boston to come to Providence. Boston's an hour away. That's a hotbed of talent. And it's all because of the dude that I worked for. Now, this guy has been blaming me for years now for his failings in this cush marquee job at Rick. And I, I, I went down there under the impression that I was going to be the next in a long line of assistance from Rick that we're going to move on into full-time coaching jobs. I was like, fuck, dude. I got, I got offered the job. I fucking made it. Like, this is it. Like, I'm making not a livable salary by any means. Like, I mean, shit. If we're being honest, the amount of hours I worked in the fitness center, I probably made like... 22, 23,000 each year that I was working there between my stipend and, and my auxiliary duties, uh, working in the fitness center, driving the equestrian team to their meets, working the clock for soccer, volleyball games, like everything. I, I did whatever I could to, to make ends meet, working events, different camps. You know, I was really in with the Brown staff because, you know, Teddy Ballgame was the ops guy there. And, and Hallis was an assistant. So I got to know Mike Martin, the head coach, and, and TJ Sorrentine and Dwayne Pina and, you know, Tyler, Tyler Sims. Uh, I got to know all those guys really well. You know, I sound like a real name dropper. But, yes, the TJ Sorrentine from the parking lot against Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to know those guys really well. So, you know, they, I was right down the street, any camps or whatever that they, they had going, I would work. They paid me pretty well. Cause I, I, they knew I didn't want anything from them. I didn't, you know, I wasn't there to, to try to kiss ass and, whatever. I was just there to, to work and, and help out. So they, they took care of me, which, you know, thankful for them to do that because I wasn't making a lot of money otherwise and I needed it. And, you know, same with, with work in Yale camp. I got to know, uh, Anthony Goins really well. Um, you know, when I was at Plymouth and he was at Dartmouth, he's at Clemson now. And I'm just some guy sitting here on a couch and, fucking New Hampshire yapping into a mic as we speak. Like he used to, Hey, you want to come down? I'm not going to coach a team, but you know, you can be a ref for the weekend. I'm like, all right, like what's it pay? Like, like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you, 
give you a couple, <laughs> two, three hundred bucks for to work elite camp for being a being a ref during the games and and coaching some kids on on the stations. I'm like, yeah, shit, yeah, absolutely. So go down there, stay at Albertus Magnus, drive over to Yale every day. You know, pretty relaxed environment. Uh, James Jones, the head coach there, is probably one of the funniest coaches I've ever met. So that was cool. You know, I worked uh, I worked hoop group camps and showcases and shit. I worked uh, AAU events, whatever I could to make ends meet. And I... I should have been going places. I really should have been. And, you know, this guy's going to blame me until the end of time because he's one of the biggest narcissists I've ever met in my entire life. Behind only the girl that I was seeing while I was at Rick for a spell. I was seeing this girl for, I don't know, six, seven weeks. And I've never met. She's the biggest narcissist I've ever met. Holy shit, I'll tell you. Um, she told me while I was hanging out with her, out of nowhere, hey, you know I could be sleeping with five other guys right now and you would have no way of knowing, right? And I looked at her and I was like, why the fuck would you say that to me? So, things got a little bit awful there for that time period trying to deal with that bullshit uh between the two of them i was not sleeping a lot and i was getting screamed at all the time so i moved down from plymouth new hampshire to providence rhode island and you know i don't mind change i'm i'm kind of nomadic by nature i like to learn different things about different places and travel and, and, you know, live in new places. It just, it, it expands your worldview. You know, you're not as, you're not as identified with the world you grew up in, which for me was incredibly important. I, I mean, I was one of the first people from my family my, my immediate family, you know, to go to college. And by one of the first, I mean, my mom went to college and got her degree while she had my brother and I already. I was like 12, I think, when she, uh, she graduated from, from SNU. Um, and, like, I, I, I was... You know, no stranger to, to working hard, working a lot of hours, thanklessly. But I, I really got taken advantage of by this dude. And you know, he referred to me as, as his slave on multiple occasions to my face, to other people. Um, constantly yelling at me, calling me names. Just abhorrent behavior for a boss who claims to, to care about the people that work for him, which just absolutely was not the case, you know. And I, 
like, you know, I I dealt with it for for a little while because I, I took the job. I was 24. I didn't know any better. I thought this was how things were supposed to go in basketball, you know. So I told the story last week of him motherfucking me in his living room in the middle of the night. And the next day I I went home. It was... It was a Monday in August. I went home and that, you know, I I went into the office and he was like working out. Tells me, well, well, we won't tell anybody about that last night. We'll, We'll keep that between us. Like, okay, jackass. Like tries to brush it under the rug. Like... I'm, I'm I'm almost at a loss for words with just like thinking back on it, it like as as I've gotten older and I've gotten wiser wiser let's use that term pejoratively I mean I'm 31 I'm not this old sage Gandalf looking motherfucker out here espousing wisdom to the masses I'm just telling stories um and that should have been a major red flag for me. I was like, okay, this might be a one-off. It was not a one-off. It was not a one-off. For the next six weeks, two months, I was constantly told I was a piece of shit. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't their first choice. I wasn't this guy's first choice. He originally hired Jimmy Oakman who took a job at BU as the director of, you know, analytical bullshit or video or whatever. Um, and then I was told, oh, I should have hired, I should have hired this other guy that my buddy recommended to me. He's much better than you are and you will ever be. So this was const- This was my constant life for the next six weeks, two months. Mind you, at no point during this time was I getting paid. They, the, the school refused to push my paperwork through. So not only could I not work in the fitness center or any athletics contests or get paid for working my stipend as a basketball coach, they just wouldn't push my paperwork through. So I was working pro bono from early August to... I didn't get my first check until the end of October. Oh, and that's another thing. They only paid us once a month. We got like one lump sum check for like, I don't know, 1600 bucks once a month from our stipend. And inexplicably didn't give us a check in, I forget if it was April or May or whatever, or March. There was one month in there where like we just weren't paid for no reason. Didn't make any sense. But both years that I worked there, it it was the same thing. So I wasn't getting a check 
I was just showing up, getting screamed at, pro bono, volunteering my time. Every time I asked about it, I, I got the runaround. Yeah, 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 just, just keep showing up to work. We'll get it pushed through eventually. Finally, they pushed it through. I was able to start working fucking fitness center hours and making a little bit of coin. But I was, I was struggling. I was asking my, my mom and stepdad for, for help. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like I, I had this gigantic pile of savings to fall back on. You know, I was, I mean, shit, I, I needed some help. And thankfully, my mother and stepdad, saints, did, did that, helped me out, you know. And it just, it just got progressively worse and worse. And I didn't realize it really my first year until later, like thinking back on it, because we were good. You know, we had a, a leftover group of, of dudes from from Bob Walsh's teams um, that had just gone to the NCAA tournament after winning the Little East the year before, and like we had a borderline player of the year, Chris Burton. We had Mike Neal, who was on on my pod here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Erica Lean was our starting point guard. Um, Jarrell Washington played really well for us. Roosevelt Scheider played really well for us. Uh, Victor Smith really well for us. Like we had a lot of good players, and our other assistant also hated my boss, and and I was kind of shielded from a lot of the brunt of of his not not my other assistants, but my my bosses. Uh, behavior because he took out a lot of his anger and frustrations that first year on the top assistant. He was just a real big dickhead to me reasonably often. And not only was he a dick, he was maybe the laziest basketball coach I've ever met like he would roll in at 11 after I'd already been there for four hours complain about how there was nothing for him to do eat his lunch sit on Facebook watch golf on his computer would do nothing of benefit to the program other than watch the same championship productions DVD over and over again to, to quote unquote get things for our program because this is how we are going to run things at Red Island College. So didn't do any of his own recruiting. Um, you know, was just used to he was a prep school coach for a long time and he was used to just people handing him dudes. And then he went to a division one school, um, and you know, hoodwinked the head coach there to get that job because there's a reason he didn't move up from there and he moved back down. But I've never met a guy less qualified to be a division three 
head coach or head coach at any level for that matter. Like he just was not good at the job at all. And, you know, I, he'll tell you that he was, he got the raw end of a deal and I'm a division one head coach. I'm only here due to family obligations. Okay. I look down the sidelines at all these boobs I got a coach against. And I know that I am better than them. And I wonder how I had to stoop this low to be a head coach in college. This was a a regular thing, he would say. Against dudes that have been coaching for a long time and gone to NCAA tournaments, like, coached good teams. Like, we, we weren't playing the Sisters of the Poor and, you know, or School of the Blind or whatever. Like, we weren't playing slouches. Like, these weren't schmucks down the other end of the other end of the court from us. Like, like we're, we, we had probably the toughest schedule in New England. You know, we played MIT, we played Tufts, we played Amherst, we played Salem State, we played Fitchburg State, we played, you know, our own conference games, we played uh, Bridgewater State, and we played everybody that would play us. Played Wesleyan. Like, we, we played, like, good teams. And... That was by design. It was so that we could get an at-large to the NCAA tournament. Like, that's how they'd been doing it for years. And year one, it was fine. You know, you you take some lumps. You play against good competition. You kind of figure out, like, what you need to improve upon. Like, okay, this team is going to make the tournament. Like, we got to really ratchet some shit up here. Year two... Same schedule because Division Three just kind of return the game and you know it makes it easier for scheduling. Okay, yeah, we can do this date and this date, whatever. So year one, like we're we're good, and we go over to Jaywoo, and Jaywoo, it was like the little brother to Rick at the time. And they surpassed us with flying colors from year one to year two. They beat us year one when we were good because they were really, really talented. They do a couple dudes, uh, Quarry Greenway and, and Tom Garrick Jr., who are just studs for the Division Three level. Made no sense that they were there because they were far exceeding like Johnson and Wales. They should have been Division II scholarship guys. But alas, that's not the decision for me to make. So we go over there. We lose. And my boss starts screaming at our other assistant. My office, 10 a.m. tomorrow. Says that as as the JWU guys are ostensibly dancing on our graves in their locker rooms, blaring 
just some of the loudest hip-hop music you could blare from a, a locker room speaker. Next locker room over from us. So the entire post-game speech, we could hear with perfect clarity just some fucking dope rhymes, I must say. Well, our guys were getting motherfucked for not being good enough. And then the next day, went in, had it out with our other assistant, who came up with just the greatest line I've ever heard to describe what he was doing to the program. That he had been given the keys to a Corvette, and he was about to drive it into a tree. Which, like I said, just a terrific, terrific line. And decided, all right, at the end of the season, we're parting ways. So, basically, <laughs> it was dysfunction from then and there. And we, we, we still had a good season. We lost a couple games we shouldn't. We lost to uh, UMass Dartmouth in a game that probably kept us from getting an at-large bid because of where they fell in the power rankings regionally. Um, just based on horrible coaching decisions by my boss. And blamed it on me and my scouting report per usual, but he disagreed with a lot of the shit that I told him that I thought we should do. And what have you. And we end up making a, a little bit of a run. We, we beat um, Plymouth State in, in the first round at our house in, uh, in, in the third incarnation of what I call the Lang Bowl between uh, Rick and Plymouth. And we ended up going to the, the next round of the, the, not the, the, the Little East Conference Tournament, which was at Eastern Connecticut. And the, higher seed, the highest seed is the one that hosts the tournament when, you know, when you get to the Final Four, the highest remaining seed hosts. So Eastern Connecticut was the one seed they hosted. And they lost to Keene State in the semifinals. And we beat UMass Dartmouth in the semifinals. So the next day, we so we played on a Friday, finals on a Saturday. We're down to eight guys because he kicked off a bunch for ridiculous reasons. We had dudes fail off. Um, you know, we had a dude get into some legal issues. What have you. And we have to go and, and play at Eastern Connecticut against Keene State, which is fine. Like, it's about, I don't know, hour and a half, hour 45 from Keene, a little over an hour from us. Like it's about right in the middle, and it's fine. This motherfucker will not stop complaining to anybody with ears. I can't believe that we have to play Keene State at Easton, Connecticut. 
we are the highest remaining seed. We should be hosting this game. And meanwhile, me and our other sister were like, that, that's not how it works. Like, this is pre... I don't care. We should be hosting this game. Okay? I am going to put it up for a vote at the next league meeting. All right? Uh, we're down two at halftime. We're... We're locked in a vicious cockfight with these guys. And they're they're big rivals of ours, you know, at, at Rick. It's the the big three in the conference at the time was was Rick, Eastern, and Keene with UMass, Dartmouth, and Western Connecticut kind of on on the uh, on the outside, so that you know, just in like the middle of the pack, and then there was uh, Southern Maine, Plymouth State, and and UMass Boston in in the back half. So we're down two at the half, and then based on I I don't know, but he like left guys in to get their asses kicked. We ended up losing the game by eighteen. And instead of making adjustments as the game is slipping away from us, he's turning around and looking at the bench. I hope you are happy with this. We are going to learn from this. You're going to learn from this. Like, trying to teach the guys a lesson. In the fucking league championship. With a chance to go to the fucking NCAA tournament. I don't know about you. Seems like maybe a time you should make adjustments. <sighs> I don't know. Call me crazy. I've never been a head coach. So I don't know. Maybe as a head coach, you're not supposed to make adjustments. That doesn't seem correct. But being told by the, the quote-unquote self-proclaimed best college basketball coach in New England... Not even told, watching his actions, I'd have to assume that head coaches shouldn't make adjustments when the league is slipping away in the league championship. I don't know. Whatever. So, we get our balls beat in by the Owls of Keene State. And they go to the NCAA tournament. I think they, I don't know if they won or lost the first game. It doesn't matter. Locker room afterwards. He, we are going to come back next year and we are going to win in spite of you guys who gave up. Like, you know, not something you really should say. <laughs> in the locker room, like trying to teach a lesson at that point in the season is just about the stupidest fucking thing you could do. Yeah, it's it's fine if it's, you know, you, you lose a game to to UMass Boston in, in fucking January. But in the Little East Championship? Are you kidding me? The fuck? Oh, and who's to say we're going to be back there next year? You don't know if you're going to be fucking back there next year. We were graduating like everybody. We returned three guys from that team. And one of them ended up having health issues and couldn't play the second year. So we returned 
two dudes. One, two. Who were role guys. Like, you know, they were good players, but they weren't like, it wasn't like, oh shit, yeah, they're re- we're returning three young studs. Like, they were, they were good players, but they, you know, had, you know, their limitations. And, and they'll be the first to admit that. But they, they played their balls off, and they were great team guys. They played a lot of minutes for us. But we had all freshmen coming in and a couple of transfers. We had a dude come in that played four games for us that first year and then quit the team because he didn't like the coach. And then he decided he was going to come back the next year and the guy's fucking runs him off in the goddamn preseason. Starts running everybody off. And we had all freshmen. You can't win games in college basketball with all freshmen unless you're fucking Kentucky or Duke. You're not winning games in Division Three with fucking freshmen? A team of freshmen? So, this might surprise you, but I tended to get a little windy while I was recording this episode. So, rather than kind of put it all together as one two-hour long episode and make you kind of trudge through it, like you're trying to get across the United States via the Oregon Trail, I reckoned that I would cut it into two parts. And... uh, this kind of felt like the most natural stopping point here because it was sort of between year one and year two for me there uh, in in Providence. So um, we figured I'd cut it off here, uh, put out part <laughs> part two, uh, section A of the ballad of Justin Lang on uh, Friday here and... Uh, you know, release part two on, on Monday. So, um, yeah, but uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get the, the second piece out on Monday to you. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll kind of keep kicking it in motion. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, follow on Instagram at HCTVPod and Twitter as well at HCTVPod. Um, follow me at JLang20 on Twitter and Instagram. So, um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll uh, see you next week. All right. Peace.